You're listening to Building the Broncos with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, Broncos country's leading draft and scouting analysts. Get on over to milehighhuddle.com to sound off on all things Broncos. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I am your host, Carl Dummler, and with me as always, I have my co-host and good friend, Mr. Nick Kendall. Nick, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well. Podcast number two on the day. The weather's turning around. April's here. Winter has come to HBO, and the draft's coming, so it's a, it's a good time of year. I'm getting excited. Well, good. Well, we're also excited today to, to welcome back one of our favorites, Mr. Benjamin Albright, to the show. Ben, we appreciate your time today, and, and uh, we just uh, wanted to say, hey, great job on Orange and Blue 760 a few weeks ago. Uh, loved listening to it, and I guess what, what's next on the docket for you? Well, I'm back at Orange and Blue uh, this week and next week, and we're trying to work towards making that a, you know, a long-term gig, so uh, that's, that's what it's going to be, it looks like, for the foreseeable future. That's great, man. Man, that, I'd be listening to that every single day, that's for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, and you know I've I've done a little radio before, but um, you know it'd be nice to have something permanent like that. And I think, like I said, we're trying to trying to work things out. We'll see where it goes. Well, good. Well, you can make sure to find uh, find myself on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH, and you can find Nick Kindle MHH, and you can follow the podcast Twitter account at BTB Football Pod. Make sure you subscribe to our show and leave us a rating as you val- as we value your input on our show. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and even that of YouTube. Also, make sure you head over to Mile High Huddle, an affiliate of 24-7 Sports and the CBS Sports Digital, to find ours and our co-writers' articles and all things pertaining to your Denver Broncos. Ben, uh, where, where can our listeners find you, buddy? Uh, they can unfollow me on Twitter at Albright NFL. My social media is a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> And uh, if you're, uh, you're looking for, for more of me and you're a glutton for punishment, like I said, I'll be on Orange Blue 760 uh, filling in for Justin Adams uh, for the next week or two and um, as we work towards something a little more permanent there. Well, that's great. Perfect. We also want to let you know that this podcast is powered by Overtime Media. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. 
Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Ben, today we, we thought we'd maybe just kind of start off here just going through the, the top 10 picks in the draft and and just looking at maybe where these different teams are going. I know everybody's kind of getting a little bit. We're, we're less than a month away. We're in the month of, of the draft and just kind of looking where teams are going to go. And obviously starting here at the top, we have the Arizona Cardinals. And I saw the other day you said to to take Kyler Murray out of pencil and put him in pit at number one. Are, are you still holding to that? Yeah, I was told uh, by some people who are who are pretty close to the situation that uh, that he's been kind of um, you know let know that that's the direction that that's going to go. Um, so you know I, I, anything can change. You know anything you put out there can always change. Uh, you know you could have a situation like Shane Ray. You know a few years ago where all of a sudden a guy gets caught with. You know, a little bit of pot before the draft or has an arrest or, you know, the, the, I think we all remember Laramie Tunsil uh, and that draft day deal. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, things that can happen. And I'm not saying Kyler Murray's going to get caught with pot by any means, but I'm saying there's, there's always a lot of things that can happen in the month before the draft. But, you know, I think that the direction that they're going to go based on, you know, what they've, what they've kind of let his camp know is that it's probably the direction they're going to go. Uh, I think he's going to go number one either way. If they choose not to take him, uh, I believe that that would be because the Raiders offered uh, a godfather-like deal in which they made an offer that couldn't be refused uh, in order to get Kyler Murray because John Gruden is very enamored with him as well. Well, I, I was kind of thinking because of the Cardinals' offensive line situation, he might want to get caught with pot. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't think that's it. I, I, you know, I think Cliff Kingsbury is probably the best fit for him in terms of uh, running an offensive style that he's going to be uh, best suited for. I, you know, I don't know. Everybody keeps talking about Kyler Murray not being suited for the NFL. And I have my own skepticism as far as that's concerned. But I, I think the thing that really concerns me is, if, is Cliff Kingsbury suited for the NFL. Uh, and I don't think that gets talked about enough. Is this another Chip Kelly situation? Uh, know how a guy who couldn't win with Pat Mahomes and Baker Mayfield at the collegiate level is going to jump into the NFL and suddenly be a wonderkind. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the, I'm here for the chaos. So I'm, I'm here to see it happen. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. What are the odds you think of the Cardinals picking number one overall again next year? Uh, given the dearth of talent on that roster, I would say pretty high. Yeah. Your other options, uh, Washington's not going to be very good this year. Um, Miami's not going to be very good this year. So, you know, you look at the you look at the rosters on paper, and, and I think those are probably the top contenders for the number one pick. So let's say the Cardinals do take Murray. What what do you think happens there then to Rosen? Uh, they would deal him. Um, there's a couple of teams that, that are, you know, that are kind of sniffing around. Um, I think most people, you know, know or have known for, for a while when, you know, I said that, 
the Giants and and the Chargers especially and, and the Patriots a little bit. Uh, we're kind of looking at him. Washington kind of looking a little bit too. But you know, I don't know that they're going to go that direction. I think I don't think they are. I, I think there's three or four teams right now that are kind of kind of looking at that situation. Uh, I don't think that Arizona is going to get much more than uh, than a third. You know, maybe a second uh, round pick and and some additional compensation for him. Um, the Chargers would be willing to move, uh, you know, a third and Tyrod Taylor, maybe a second and Tyrod Taylor. That gives Kyler Murray a veteran backup who's short and kind of plays a similar style of football. And I think that'd be a natural fit if you're, you know, if you're the Cardinals, you have to kind of look at that. But, you know, it's only six million dead cap total for the Chargers to move on from Tyrod. So, uh, you know, people talking about his contract and everything. I, I think they, they don't really know what they're talking about. It's, it's like I said, it's only six million dead cap. They can they can move out from under him pretty easily. Are there any other teams that potentially might be looking at Rosen as well? Um, you know, never say never on on Miami, although I don't think that's the direction they're going. I, I really think that – I don't want to say the Chargers are the leaders in the clubhouse, but I think for, for all parties involved, that's the direction they want it to go. It kind of puts Josh back in Los Angeles where, you know, he's, he's pretty much a better fit there uh, personality-wise than maybe a lot of other places. Uh, so I think they you know, the, the league is such a relationship and a fit league and, you know, fans kind of lose track of that a lot of the time because you know we get so used to playing madden or, or doing these digital you know things like spreadsheets and stuff like that we and we, we lose the humanity of um of the league and i think that you know people don't realize that again it's a situation in a fit league and people are trying to find the best for each and i think for josh that's that's probably the best way to go new york might be a fit although you know that new york media can be can be kind of vicious and i don't know that that's that's a direction josh would want to go um, I also don't think that's the direction the Giants really want to go, but we'll see. Dave Gettleman's kind of um, kind of a different duck. So, <laughs> yeah, you never know what that guy's going to do. Well, moving on here then to pick number two was the San Francisco 49ers. Is it kind of written in pen for Nick Bosa to be going to them, or are they maybe looking to trade out of the spot? What what are they thinking there? I, I think they're really hoping Nick Bosa falls in their lap. Um, you know, they've they've looked a little bit at Quinn and Williams as well, but I think it's really down to, you know, Nick, they're really hoping it's Nick Bosa. Um, they're not opposed to Josh Allen, but um, I think that they're really hoping uh, that the Cardinals, and I think that's part of the reason that the Cardinals are doing due diligence on Nick Bosa at this point is um, can they John Lynch, John Lynch, can they get John Lynch to move up one spot for a guy they weren't going to take anyway? Uh, so I think that they're kind of, kind of looking at that and saying, okay, well, they don't need a quarterback. We can drop one spot, get Kyler, get cheaper, maybe pick up a draft pick and, uh, and turn around and give, um, you know, and, and get Nick Bosa to the, to the Niners who, you know, who want to maybe if we try to trick him and I, I don't think that's going to work, but, um, you know, it, everybody's got to try something. Everybody tries everything in the draft. The, the Jets, what, uh, the, I guess they're kind of in that, that prime position because I know Raiders have, have talked a little bit about quarterback. You're, you're looking at that number two pass rusher. You're looking at some different options there, Quinnen Williams and things like that. Are they, are they getting a lot of phone calls then for a trade down? Uh, the Jets have had some people call and you know and see what the price would be. I imagine that's probably trying to gauge what it would what it would take to get up there and get either an elite pass rusher or a quarterback. Uh, I think that they're probably going to be picking at three. I don't think that they're going to be one of the ones that's trading. Um, I, I think the Jets are a lot closer to being competitive than people think. I think they're going to be a competitive football team this year. Probably uh, the second best team in the uh, you know in the uh, AFC East. So. Um, I, and I think that they're kind of keyed in on Josh Allen. I think that gives them a you know a piece that they they really need. Um, and I, I think they're they're building a, a brilliant young defense there. And I think that's 
I think that's going to be good for them. So I don't think they're going to move out of three. You know, you never know. Um, they get the right offer. Anybody can move anywhere. But um, there's definitely, you know, I think there's definitely a reticence. If they've got an elite player lined up and, and they feel like they can be competitive in year one uh, to kind of go that route. Does the I, I guess I'm kind of thinking a little bit of just past drafts and guys that kind of remind me a little bit of Josh Allen and Hassan Reddick. He was a guy that was really sought after, kind of that that edge player, but also could drop back in coverage. Is there any kind of leeriness about that of a guy that's kind of good at two positions, but yet you kind of wonder what's their fit? I don't think so. I think with Greg Williams there as defensive coordinator, I think that they've got a pretty uh, – everybody knows what Greg's going to do on defense. You know, it's just going to bring the house. Uh, he's got to put guys out on an island and have an angel safety over the top. And, you know, I think they want guys that can do that. Uh, occasionally they'll they'll drop a linebacker back in the zone or, that you know, that kind of thing, try to trick people. I think they want somebody who can get after the passer as a primary but has some ability to get to, to get back into coverage as well when they, when they try to, you know, show an exotic look or do something a little different. So uh, – um, I, you know, I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a hesitance with Allen. I, I think Allen's probably an elite player. I think that, um, you know, really it comes down to what can we get for this pick? Is it worth trading back? And and if so, then, um, you know, do we do it? If not, is it is it worth more to have Josh Allen or whomever we would take there? And, and Josh, I suspect is is the top guy on their. Uh, you know, they they feel is going to be available for him there. Well, that brings us then to, I would say, maybe the biggest wildcard team here in the in the top five picks, the Oakland Raiders. And it just seems like you're hearing about every single player possible going to them. And you're hearing quarterback, you're hearing trade up to number one to get Kyler Murray. Like you said, you know that that uh, they, they love him. It is, if they stay there at number four, who do you think that they're going to be targeting pretty hard there? I think it's a, you know, I think they're looking at the quarterbacks and I think they would be interested if, if, you know, one of their two guys was there, um, not necessarily to point to pull the trigger, but enough to have a conversation. I, I think ultimately they'll land on Quinn and Williams. Um, but I, you know, I think the quarterbacks will get due consideration. Um, but I, I think in the end, when you, when you look at uh, what's available, uh, you look at, at what's there, you kind of have to, have to say, okay, what are, what are we not going to be able to do next year? And is there an elite player, an elite talent that will allow us to do that? Right now, what the Raiders can't do is rush the quarterback or cover anybody. Uh, so you got to say, okay, is there a corner worth picking here? No. Uh, so are there pass rushers worth picking here? Yeah, there are. Uh, Quinn Williams, uh, maybe Ed Oliver, if you really like him. Some teams do really like him. Some teams really don't. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's kind of the direction that they're going to go is, uh, you know, get that guy, finish shoring up the interior of that line. They like Arden Key on the edge. Uh, they just re-signed Jonathan Hankins, zero-tech nose tackle. So if they can get like an under tackle uh, for that 43 front, a guy like, um, you know, Quinn, and I, I think that's, that's probably the direction they go. You don't think that the defensive tackles they took early last year uh, second round, they took P.J. Hall, I believe it was second round. And then Maurice Hurst, who many thought was a first-round pick, would deter them from going with another interior player there? I don't think so. I think they, they know they need a talent infusion. I think that's, you know, they're going to look at what's the best what's the best fit. You could see an edge rusher, um, but I, I think that the D-line is going to be the pick. And, you know, they're probably going to look best player available. Mike Bayock really is a proponent of, of BPA. Uh, and, you know, having his voice in the room is, I think, going to help. You know, for all the criticisms that John Gruden has in player evaluation and drafting, he's been uh, fairly decent at times in the, you know, in the earlier rounds. Look, he was a guy who drafted a keep to lead for instance yeah. um so he's got you know he's got kind of an eye for some of this stuff and i think he takes a lot more guff than probably he should 
but I, you know, I, I think that they're going to look at the, along the defensive line. I, I think they, they got some veteran linebackers in there to kind of quarterback the defense and they're going to make it a youth movement by drafting a defense and then let, let those, those veteran guys kind of phase themselves out with the, uh, you know, perfect. I'm not even sure he makes the 53 and then, uh, and Brandon Marshall as well. So that makes sense. Hopefully Quinn and Williams doesn't go to the Raiders. Cause I don't want to face that. <laughs> <laughs> so quick question, I guess, then you talked about their love for Kyler Murray where I guess I've heard so many differing reports on this. What is the relationship between Gruden and Carr? Is that good relationship, bad relationship? Where, where are they at? It's not a bad relationship. It's just, I think John recognizes what Carr is and what Carr isn't. And he doesn't really fit John Gruden's scheme. Derek Carr is best suited as a guy in a power run offense that uh, likes to throw the ball vertically. Uh, and John is not that. John's a West Coast proponent. He's a Walsh disciple. Um, and so, you know, he, he wants the guy who's hyper accurate in the short game and able to put the ball on a, you know, on a dime in the short game um, and allow his receivers to create after the catch, which is interesting because they went out and got two deep ball receivers, um, you know, this offseason in Tyrell Williams and, and Antonio Brown. So, um, you know, I, I just don't know if the personnel are suited for what, you know, what they want to do, but, um, like, I, I guess I sort of get it, uh, in the respect that if they were able to pull off Kyler Murray, then that would be cool. I know John really wanted to, he had a plan and really wanted to pull off uh, a scenario in which he got Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell and Kyler Murray. Um, I don't think that ultimately that's, uh, you know, that's obviously not going to happen. Now Le'Veon Bell signed with the Jets for more money, but uh, he had a plan to try to do all that. Um, ultimately, it didn't come to fruition. So I don't know if they want to spend all that draft capital on Kyler. I think they really like him, and I think he's a better fit for what John wants to do on offense, that kind of Gulf Coast variant. You know, we all saw it back when Rich Gannon was running it, how successful it was, and, you know, when Jeff Garcia was running it, how successful it was. Really, a, you know, quarterbacks with mobility that can hit the, that can manipulate the 0 to 11 yard game is john gruden's bread and butter if you're if you're hyper alex smith is the perfect john gruden quarterback you know guy who's not going to turn it over hyper accurate in the short game uh and that's what he needs and Derek carr is just not that guy so i think they recognize that Derek's a decent quarterback he's just not a perfect fit for what they want to do so daniel jones at four overall to the raiders let's just mark it in let's just make it happen <laughs> let's let it be a thing well, I don't think, yeah i don't think that's it either um i you know i, I don't think that that's really i think uh if you're going to look at anybody uh, a guy i don't really care for but will greer could be kind of a fit uh, later on for what they do that makes sense all right well then you that know, takes us to... kind of got a little case keenum do what no, I was just saying Greer kind of has a little case team to him. He's, you know, he's, he's uh, decent with the short stuff, but the last thing you want that dude doing is just throwing up the seam vertically. Anyway, yeah, th- those were I, – I still have nightmares on some of those throws. But now moving on to, to Tampa Bay and kind of coming out of the combine, it seemed like Devin White was that guy that everybody is kind of penciling in there. Is that still the case, just really thinking Devin White's going to be their guy at five or or is there some other guys that they're really looking at right now? I think it's Devin White. I think it's the worst kept secret in the draft is that they're, you know, they like Devin White there. I think that that uh, shores up a need for them, kind of gives them their Patrick Willis, so to speak, um, long term, or at least they think that will. And, you know, I think I think a lot of people will agree with them. Um, they, they have some other issues they need to shore up. They get some they need some corner help. Um, but I, I think that getting Devin White's the worst kept secret in the draft. What if Quinton Williams falls to them? You know, potentially the number one player in this class. I'm not going to say, I don't think Nick Bosa will, but there's potential that Quinton Williams could fall there and which Gerald McCoy sounding like he might be a cap casualty. I think he's not reporting to voluntary OTAs from what yeah, I recall. 
they're going to move McCoy. Vita Vea is, is the guy there. They're not, yeah. you know, they don't, I don't think that Quinn and Williams really even fits what they want to do um, with their conversion to the 34. So, um, you know, I, I think that I, I think that they'll avoid. They like Vita Vea as a zero tech nose tackle, and you know, I think that they'll they'll look to the uh, to that linebacking core to make sure they got guys that can that can cover or come downhill if they need to. That makes sense. Well, then we come to pick number six with the Giants, and for a long time, everybody was penciling in quarterback here. It seems like there's been a lot of people kind of moving off of that and looking at some other positions, and then maybe thinking quarterback with that second first round pick that they have. Are you thinking quarterback here? Or where do you think they're going to go? I, I think it, it's going to be along the defensive line. I think it's between two players. I think it's between Eddie Oliver and I think it's between Montez Sweat. Um, Gettleman loves drafting defensive linemen early. Just loves it. Loves to load up on, and, and honestly overstock on defensive linemen. Uh, and so that's you know that's kind of the direction I think they'll go with that with that first pick. Um, I, you know, I suspect it's going to be sweat, but Ed Oliver has some, you know, has some kind of run there. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Sorry, it seems Carl. Like, I know, man, that's my boy. <laughs> I, he, he seems to be going all over the draft. I've, I've seen him as far as 15. I've seen him clear up here. Yeah. Number pick number six. So it's kind of interesting to see where he's going to go in this draft. It seems like you either love him or you just can't seem to figure out where he's going to play for you. Yeah, you know, people are trying to figure out because he's, you know, in a 34, some people say they want to make him an outside back or he'd be downhill only. But, um, you know, that'd be an interesting look. I, I think you play him kind of like Aaron Donald personally. Uh, I think I think the way Wade Phillips did it with, you know, running that 43 under front and then, you know, having the defensive end stand up and, and kind of run it that way. I, I think that's that's kind of the best fit for him. But, you know, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think he'd be a good fit in a, you know, in a 43 uh, just any 43 system or that, you know, the hybrid systems, like what rate, what, uh, what Wade, Wade runs. That makes a lot of sense. And that's something I would like the Broncos to think about if he does fall to 10, but moving on now, a team that honestly, I really no clue what they're going to do. It seems like Haskins rumors have come out recently, even though they already signed Nick Foles and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars at seven overall. Do you have any insights on them? Are they looking to trade up? Are they looking to potentially get an edge rusher? DK Metcalf, maybe TJ Hawkinson. What about the Jags? Yeah, I would say that, you know, if you're looking at this team, I think that quarterback is not out of the realm of possibility. Um, Haskins is a guy that, you know, would seem like a natural fit. Um, and, you know, Foles, they don't have the largest investment in Foles. Foles is kind of just a guy. Um, and, you know, his best, he's been best suited as a, a spot start backup guy uh, rather than a, a full-fledged starter. Now, they paid him starter money, but uh, we've, we've seen him start before. Uh, Nick Foles was so bad, he got benched for Case Keenum. Um, when he was in with the Rams. So, you know, I think that Foles outside of the Doug Peterson, you know, kind of um, uh, Eagles, uh, Chiefs, Andy Reid, you know, set up or scenario hasn't really been very good. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in that offense. And I, I think the Jags would be wise to take a quarterback as insurance there. Doesn't mean they will, but uh, Haskins be in play. The other one uh, you mentioned, TJ Hawkinson, um, you know, they, they really need that tight end. That's kind of been the missing piece on their offense. Um, you know, somebody today suggested Noah Fant, but they don't really need an off the line. Why? They need more of an inline, you know, more more rounded tight end, traditional mold. And I, I think Hawkinson's a better fit there. It would seem a little early to me to grab a tight end. Um, I, I'm not drafting a tight end in the top 10 simply because the, the fifth-year option expense and everything else. But, um, you know, I, if I were Jacksonville and I got a trade partner, I might try to jump back a little bit and get TJ Hawkinson in the early teens if you've got a, somebody that wants to get up and get a quarterback like a Miami or a Washington. 
that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm a as a Iowa alumni, Iowa Hawkeye fan, and Broncos picking ten. It absolutely kills me that I kind of pushing back against the T.J. Hawkinson love fest with that pick. I just if O.J. Howard goes 19 overall, who I think was the you know, bigger, more explosive player than T.J. Hawkinson, then I, I can't get behind a tight end at 10 overall. Just doesn't ma- match positional value for me. Yeah, um, the knock on Howard was obviously that lack of production. He had a couple of yeah. big games. Where was he the rest of that year? Where Hawkinson, you know, in the Iowa tight end pedigree kind of has its own thing going for it. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. And t- some questions about contested catchability. But, you know, it's kind of like same argument with Josh Jacobs this year in that Alabama offense. You know, they had so many other guys to spread the love around to. But for me, I had Howard. He tested better as well. That 4-7 for that tight ends is a little bit of a concern for me. You know, yeah. for a top ten level tight tight end that is right. You don't have a Vernon Davis situation where you're running four three. You know, yeah, but not an absolute freak. Although you know, probably one of the safer players in the draft. But now moving on, now a team that you know, a lot of questions about which way they'll go. Maybe a team that might move around a little bit. A team, potential team that could trade back. The Detroit Lions at eight overall. They've added Trey Flowers this offseason, the kind of the versatile defensive lineman, edge rusher can kick inside. But I'm curious, is this a team that's going to go defensive line, edge rusher once again? Could be. This is kind of the biggest enigma, I think, in the, in the top 10. Um, there are some people that suggest that they really like Drew Locke. They'd like to get out from under Matt Stafford's deal at the end of the year. Uh, so there's, you know, there's another possibility there with the quarterback position. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to believe that they're going to go somewhere on the defensive side of the ball. Um, could they sneakily, uh, you know, snag, uh, you know, an inside linebacker like Bush? Could they, could they go up there and get a corner? Um, you know, could they could they reinvest in the offensive line? There's there's several different ways that they could go, uh, and it's the biggest enigma to me. I don't know what they're doing. I don't have any inside information on what they're doing, and that's that's the one that's the puzzle for me to try to figure out. Interesting. And another team linked with defensive line. Uh, Ed Oliver was a guy that was seemed to be linked here a lot. Maybe even Rashawn Gary, Buffalo Bills at nine overall. Maybe they go defense. You know, that kind of fits the McDermott mold. But I could see them also going after offense to help out Josh Allen because. I mean, after last season, they got to get him some help. Yeah, I think this boils down to exactly that. Is, is it a, are you getting a chess piece on defense and Ed Oliver, or are you going offense and taking a DK Metcalf or you know an, an, a weapon for uh, for Josh Allen? And that's that's really the question. Um, you know, which direction you're going to go with that? Who's got the louder voice in the war room to be able to get their side of the ball? Um, you know, the attention it needs. So uh, Buffalo's trying to build an elite defense. I think they've got a pretty good one. Um, yeah. You know, the passing game is really the Achilles heel of this team. And so, you know, if you can find the problem is, is if you draft a wide receiver, wide receivers tend to take about two and a half, two and a quarter years to, to really kind of hit their stride. So by the time your wide receiver is ready to go, you think of two, two full seasons for now, that coaching staff may not even still be there uh, if they haven't, you know, turned things around. So um, it, it's tough to draft wide receivers that early, uh, especially if you're a coach that's got a couple of years in because you know that by the time that pick really gets to hit his stride, you may not be there and somebody else gets to clean up with your your weapons so um it, I, I don't know um if i were buffalo i would probably take eddie oliver but uh i, I think it's down to receiver or or oliver in that in their case that makes a lot of sense so sorry carl doesn't seem like broncos maybe they wouldn't even take oliver if he fell to 10 but probably going top 10 after his pro day but although you don't want to double count the the positives we already knew he's an athletic freak but seems like that's coming more and more out that he at oliver going top 10 so potentially, you know, Broncos picking after that, but who are some teams that you think could jump the Denver Broncos? You know, we talked about the Bengals, Redskins, Dolphins. Is there anybody else that maybe is a team that you could see shocking the NFL draft landscape and 
moving into the top 10 for maybe a quarterback or something like that? Um, you know, the Chargers might be a stunner if they did something like that. And they are looking for a successor to Phillip Rivers. That's why, you know, we talked about Rosen earlier. Um, I, you know, I think Miami and Washington are probably your most logical candidates. Um, it just depends on, on what it is that you feel is a need. And if you have the tools to get up there and get that, get it, um, you know, Baltimore might be a candidate to move up for you. You would think for a receiver, although, you know, given the way they've, they've invested in tight ends, um, uh, you know, maybe they, <laughs> Maybe they move up and grab a sixth tight end or something, you know, <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, I could, I could tell you, it was interesting to me. I talked to some of the guys who left the the Baltimore Ravens uh, this off season, they were leaving and, you know, they were hitting free agency. And one of the things that they noted in leaving was um, that they were, you know, they were looking for a team that had decent offense uh, because they, they were, they were under the impression that the offense wasn't going to be very good next year. Um you know, they, they were kind of, there were some guys that were definitely irritated that um, they didn't switch to Joe Flacco at halftime of that game because they felt like Joe gave them a chance to win. And that might be their only chance to win. You know, those guys were in the playoffs. That might be their only chance. And so um, there was, there was some animosity there. Um, and, and so some of those guys wanted to get out of there because they, they looked at that situation and said, well, we don't want a serious situation like for instance, the Denver Broncos, where after they win the Super Bowl and the quarterback goes away, uh, then the defense is carrying the team and the offense just doesn't have the quarterback to be able to do anything. So we're mired in mediocrity, you know, we're wasting a good defense. So uh, just a little, you know, just a little anecdote um, for Broncos fans. You're probably, uh, probably going to like that endorsement of Joe Flacco from guys that were kind of wanting him to be put back in in that, that playoff uh, matchup against the Chargers uh, where they had completely figured Lamar out. And I know you were, uh, this isn't on the, the outline or anything, but I know you were a pretty big proponent of Case Keenum not, I mean, not being, not panning or pilot on him, so to speak, because Musgrave ran a horrific offense for his skill set. But how do you feel? Is this a strong compliment or a strong uh, improvement going from Keenum to Flacco? Um, I, I think that if you boil the numbers down, you arrive at the production the same, but in different ways. Uh, the best quote I got about the Flacco thing was, was the day it went down. I talked to a Broncos offensive coach and they said this, they said, look, we love case. Uh, we love case. He's a great guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, Joe Flacco forces you to defend every blade of grass on the field and case Keenum just doesn't. All right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. We still got a bit to get to today with Ben Albright, but first a quick break. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we're back with Benjamin Albright, who's taking the time to talk some Denver Broncos draft with us. And we talked about picks one through nine and some teams that might trade up, but now we're at the Broncos at 10 overall. And for me, I have seven blue chip players in this class and four of them are edge rushers. So for me, picking at 10 overall, if you're picking in the top 10, you either need to walk away with a blue chip player or a quarterback. And for me, my blue chip non-edge players would be Quinton Williams, Devin White, and Ed Oliver. How confident are you that none of those guys will be there at 10? Well, Quinton and White are, are not going to be there. Um, yeah. I, 
if, if we're being honest, those two are not going to be there. Ed Oliver, I would say there is a slim chance he makes it to 10. I always hate, you know, putting percentages on it just because yeah. those are arbitrary numbers. Like the, it either is going to happen or it isn't. So the, the actual percentage is 50, 50, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, if, if we're, if we're putting a confidence interval on it, you know, uh, 15%. Ooh, stats talk. I'm about this. All right, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. 15% that he makes it there and 85% that he doesn't. All right. And that makes a lot of sense. Do you see any of these guys? I mean, obviously Quinnen Williams and Devin White would for the Broncos. If they fell to 10, you would definitely think the Broncos would sprint to the podium, but Ed Oliver, are, do you have concerns about his fit with the Broncos? I mean, he's not a prototypical Fangio defensive lineman. He likes a little bit bigger boys up there. Let those linebackers run free. But when you got a talent like Ed Oliver, it might make you kind of switch things up if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I think you wind up moving him to outside backer at that point. I mean, the mm-hmm. problem with that is, is if you do that, now you've got three outside backers. Who are you sitting, Vaughn or Bradley Chubb? You know, yeah. uh, so that's that's the problem because you know in a in a in a traditional forty three defense, um, you know he's it's obvious to see where where he fits. But if you start looking at the thirty four, it's tough. Who are you sitting, um, and and what are you using Oliver for at that point? You know, yeah. he's really at his best as an interior gap penetrator. And are you really going to use him in kind of the Adam Gotsis role where he's tying up blockers, hoping to have Bradley Chubb come off his hip, hip and get the sack? I mean, it seems like a waste of his talent and athleticism. Uh, they managed to make that work with Aaron Donald there in uh, you know with the Rams last year. Um, so if you um, you know if you have a chance to get a blue chip player, I mean, you do it. You just kind of figure it out. But you know, it's so tough. Um, it feels like it's a, a in terms of his skill set, it feels like it's it's almost a waste of what you want to do, um, kind of you know making him that five tech you know kind of shade guy. And I I, I don't know. I, I like it, Oliver. I just don't feel like he's a fit for Denver. It's tough to hear, but uh, no, <laughs> I, I understand. It, I mean, he is he's kind of one of those players, like you said. He's just kind of a almost a little bit of a tweener on some some areas. But at the same yeah. time, he's just one of those guys. I mean, when I'm watching him take three offensive linemen back into the face of the quarterback, and I understand it's lower competition, but that's still moving 900 pounds of, of man right there. Right. No, and, and the other part of that is, you know, I've, I mean, I had a coach tell me one time that, you know, if there's an elite player and he doesn't fit your system, your system is the thing that's wrong. Yep. Um, but I mean, but if you look at that, like, who are you, who are you sitting and who are you playing where and how are you using him? Like with the Broncos, I guess that means you're sitting Gotsis, uh, and he's at Oliver at his best being that guy, you know, being a basically a five tech. I guess my one counter argument would be with how much sub package you play these days with, you know, the two down linemen and whether it be three safeties or three cornerbacks that getting a guy, I mean, there are going to be snaps for a three technique in the defense, even still, and maybe even a NASCAR package with him at one technique that I think you could still find a usage for him on the defense. But it's not even so much the weight that is the concern for me. It's the length. I mean, he's measured in really, really... I mean, obviously, the weight's a concern if he is actually play at 270. But the length also, they'd be able to play that five technique, four technique, four eye. I just don't know if it's there now. If you think you can get enough out of him, considering you're playing sub-package 60% of the time these days, I can hear that argument, but still. But are you... Are you spending a top 10 pick on a sub package rotational player? Yeah, that's that's, the question. That's that is the question. And that's like he's again, he's a great talent. I just, it's so difficult. If this were Madden, yeah, I would draft him and I would put him in. (laughs) This is the real world. And it's one of those things where, like, okay, Broncos have other needs. They need a quarterback of the future. They need an inside linebacker. Uh, Drew Locke is still out there, according to what we've just laid out. Uh, Bush, Devin Bush is still out there, according to what we've laid out. Um, So it's hard to justify a sub package rotational player. Player over, uh, 
potentially maybe not a blue chip, but maybe that that, that light blue chip, (laughs) um, you know, quarterback of the future or inside linebacker when you need those. That makes a lot of sense. And talking quarterback now, you mentioned Drew Locke, you mentioned Haskins. Uh, Are those guys that, I mean, obviously the visits haven't happened yet. Drew Locke's going to be in in Denver. Actually, by the time the listeners are hearing this, maybe that's already happened. But uh, are those guys you still think are very much in play for 10 overall? I would say that Drew Locke is very much in play. I don't know that Haskins is, but you can always sell yourself in the, uh, you know, in the interviews. I think the Broncos are doing due diligence. It's not just just about uh, these particular players. It's about uh, improving their overall quarterback evaluation, what makes guys tick, learning, uh, you know, who these guys are. And, you know, these might be guys that you might be playing against, mm. um, you know, on some of here pretty soon. So, you know, you kind of want to learn a little bit about them, learn what, the, what they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are. And, and it's not just about, you know, acquiring information on guys we might acquire. It's about acquiring information on guys we might have to play against. That's probably why they're bringing in Kyler Murray. <laughs> very much so and, and you mentioned Devin Bush yeah uh, do you see much of a difference between him and Devin White and what he brings to the table and why I mean why is White this obvious top five top 10 talent where Bush is kind of being pushed down a little bit um it's it's a size thing uh and you, you, people get hung up on that De- Devin White ticks all the boxes Devin Bush ticks all the boxes except size even though his size isn't that, that much different from Devin White um so you know I, I don't know I, I think Bush is a, a great player I think he's got a little Danny Trevathan to him um might be a little bit better um but I, I think he's a guy that you know uh, the inside linebacker that can go sideline to sideline that he can drop back away from the ball and you you can have him come downhill after the quarterback although that's that's really not his strength um and I, I think he's a guy that you know, if you're running, you know, your, your base 34, and you're, you're in base defense, um, you know, you don't have to ever take him off the field. Uh, you know, you put him out there next to Todd Davis or Josie Jewell, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, and then you put one of those two off uh, the field when you, you know, when you, when you go to sub package. So, um, you know, I think Todd Davis is one of the better downhill linebackers in the NFL. He stinks going sideline to sideline. He's not good going away from the ball, but going downhill, he's good at getting after the quarterback great pressure. Uh, Josie Jewell, I'm not a big fan. He's not very athletic, but he is a run funnel guy. And he's a sure tackler. He's got great instincts. So he's a guy that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a definite run situation, you put Josie on there, you follow the run right to him and he's going to wrap him up right there. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think that having a, a sideline to sideline guy like Bush, who can go back away from the ball and come downhill. I think that that's a key piece. I think it's a key piece of what the Broncos are missing right now. And, you know, if you look at Vic Fangio's defenses, they always had that piece. That was always what it was centered around. Everybody talks about off-ball linebackers and all that, but they were centered around that, and they weren't. Yeah. Nope. It, any ahead. insight to the Broncos' thoughts on Bush? I, I think they like him. I, I think if we look at the way this thing is playing out, I, I think there's really a kind of a you know a three or four man scenario right now. I, I can tell you they haven't made a, a decision yet. Um, I, I think they like Locke. I think they like Bush a lot. I think they like Ed Oliver. I think they like T.J. Hawkinson. Um, so I think that depending on what's there at 10, then they've got a decision to make whether or not they take that player or uh, trade back even a few picks uh, and then try to take their players. So, um, you know, I, th- I think those are the realistic scenarios right now. I don't think there's I mean, some other player may may be a guy that uh, that intrigues them after a meeting. But I, I think that's the direction it's kind of headed. And you talked about a trade down option uh, that. Speaking with Eric Trickle, he said that potentially, you know, there's some teams that have reached out. Obviously, people just fill in the waters, but some names that I'd like to throw out there. Yeah, Christian Wilkins, maybe Jerry Tillery is a guy. Dalton Risner been connected with the Broncos. Noah Fant, the need a tight end. I know that they signed a couple cornerbacks, but DeAndre Baker and Byron Murphy still make sense. And uh, N. Keel Harry is a guy they're bringing in. John Elway was at his pro day. And Garrett Bradbury, the center. 
do any of these guys stand out as ones that you think of the Broncos trade back far enough that they'd be decently high pick or high odds to be the Broncos picks? I think that most of the names you mentioned are going to be available in round two, early, early round two. Uh, some of them will, but most of the names you mentioned will be. Um, and I think if it's offensive line, that'll get addressed day two. I really don't think John Elway, a guy who uh, literally was quoted last year as, as saying it takes no balls to draft a guard at five, uh, referring to Quentin Nelson, uh, who I thought was an elite Steve Hutchinson level talent. Um, I don't think that, he, you know, I think Elway knows that offensive line is a need, but I don't think he's doing that first round. I think that he feels like the value on offensive line guys is in day two. And if you look at the draft history, that's that's really kind of where it's been. The first round pick of Garrett Bowles, um, you know, the, the whole reason to bring in Munchak was to, to maybe coach him up and see if they're even going to, gonna you know, second contract him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What about specifically Jerry Tillery and Christian Wilkins as guys they might target if they trade down? That's a possibility. Um, I mean, you know, that's not something I've heard that's connected with what their, their line of thinking is. But, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't rule it out uh, just because it hasn't been connected yet or hasn't been mentioned to me doesn't mean it's, it's not going to happen. It just means that I, I haven't picked up on any, uh, any hint of that. For sure. And are there any day two players that you'd think would be connected to the Broncos, whether it be scheme or anything that you've heard? Uh, Garrett Bradbury, um, for sure. Reisner, if he's there, for sure. Uh, day three uh, in uh, round three, look at a guy like Jermaine Pratt, uh, inside linebacker, North Carolina state. Um, you know, he's a, he's a sideline to sideline guy, with a ton of athleticism. Um, he just needs to be coached up a little raw, uh, needs a little more reps. Um, who else Shoot, Dalen Mack would be day three guy, uh, zero tech, a little, little small, a little on the short end, but, uh, kind of a, a monster in the middle of zero tech nose tackle out of AM. Um, what about Kingsley Kiki, his, his partner. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be the direction they go, but, okay. uh, you know, possibility, uh, Isaiah Oliver, the corner, uh, out of Houston, mm. um, wait, wait, what did I say? Isaiah Oliver, I meant Isaiah Johnson. Um, sorry. It's, I, it's all good. Ed Oliver in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just out of Houston. I know I'm, I'm, it's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah Johnson, the, the, the lengthy corner. Um, I think he would be a, you know, late day two, early day three guy if he was sitting there they'd, they'd snag him up uh i would also look at um uh i would also look at you know a burner type receiver look for one of those those fast guys like paris campbell if somebody happens to fall in their lap uh, they need a burner to stretch the field vertically a john brown if you will for joe flacco uh, and that's the one thing they don't have they've got a contested catch guy in Cortland sutton uh back shoulder guy they've, they've got a you know a slot soft spot and zone guy in deshaun hamilton you know we all know what emmanuel sanders is uh and they like tim patrick too as Kind of a goal line, another contested catch guy you can put on the outside. So uh, I think they've got most of the receivers covered. They just need a burner. Uh, and I know they're bringing in, you know, in Keel, but I don't think he's a fit here. Uh, you've already got, you know, two of him. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that you burn an early pick on something like that. You look for a guy with wheels uh, that can take the top off. And I think that this offense is set. I mean, you start to look at this offense, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of young talent on this roster. You know, Sutton, Hamilton, Patrick, um, you know, obviously Sanders is getting up there, but he's, he's talented. You look at the running back position, you got Phil Lindsay and Royce Freeman. You look at the tight end, and, you know, Jake Butt and Jeff Hireman, when they played, weren't bad at all. No. Um, you know, so you, you've got a lot of talent, young talent on this offense. It needs to come together. I think the only thing you're missing is a, is a stretch the field burner. Yeah. Maybe an interior offensive line too, but insert Munchak. The guard, but yeah. Have you heard anything about Emmanuel Sanders? One, just his recovery. And two, I mean, there's always been a lot of links with the Broncos trading him, trying to get younger at the position. Uh, what have you been hearing about Emmanuel Sanders? 
Um, he was a candidate for trade, but I think that they weren't getting what they thought they were going to get out of that. So I don't think he's going to end up getting moved after all. There's a possibility he could still get moved. Uh, I know the Niners were very interested, um, but I, I, you know, I don't know that, that that's really going to happen. I think he's probably going to come back and end up playing out his last year in Denver, and they're they're going to hope he cashes in, does really well, and they can get a you know a compensatory pick out of it um, with his final contract kind of thing. Have you heard anything on his recovery? How he's doing? Is he ahead of schedule? Is he going to be ready yeah. week one or? He's ahead of schedule. He's, he'll be ready. Um, you know, he's and he's always been that guy for for all the other you know, whatever issues you have with Emmanuel Sanders, him working to come back from injury is not one of them. So um, he'll be ready. All right. Well, we have been all right on here. We still have one more section to get to, but first a quick break. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, and we're back here with Ben Albright, and we got a little bit more Broncos talk before we get him on out of here. Thanks for your time today, Ben. Always got always appreciate. It. I know you're a busy guy, but a little bit more Bronco talk here. Some Broncos guys, you know, maybe after the draft, the that third wave of free agency, if you will. Is there any talk about bringing a back, uh, potentially maybe a nose tackle like Demata Pecco or an offensive lineman out there? I, I think Pecco's one they're. they're- probably going to bring back uh it'll probably be a one-year deal um i I think when all said and done you know they wanted to get a a stronger push up the middle and they felt like um that you know they loved amata and he was consistent and reliable but maybe he wasn't the same guy he used to be with getting that that huge push up the middle that used to be um so you know they they weren't prepared to offer him anything more than a kind of vet vet minimum one-year deal um they agreed to let him test the market if they didn't get you know the guy that they wanted which was jonathan hankins uh that they would revisit that and so i I think that's one of the ones they're going to revisit and ultimately get he's you know bringing him back on a one-year vet minimum deal he wants to be here uh i think that that i think that's the best for all involved yeah, absolutely. And a good guy. So always easy to cheer for that. And, right. and he's in the community and, and all that too, you know. So Yeah, and top five hair in the Broncos team. So that's top five, yes. <laughs> Any talk on the uh the Darren Lee possibility? I know that he was somebody that's been floated out there. That kind of buzz has simmered down a bit. Is that still a possibility for the Broncos or does it seem like the Jets are gonna take him? I know the Bucks were also a team list- listed as a possibility. Yeah, both those are still possibilities. I think they're going to get closer to the draft. I think it's going to be one of those things where if guys miss on the guys that they want early, then that trade gets made. I think if the Broncos miss on Bush, I think that's what happens. I think that then they go to the Jets and say, look, we didn't get one of the two athletic linebackers we had uh, pegged as top 10 guys. Um, What will it take to pry off? Darren Lee and I know that the Jets have been uh, their asking price has been absurdly high they want like a third rounder for Lee which is Mm. not going to happen you know he's going to be the guy who fetches a fifth maybe a fourth if somebody gets desperate so um, I I think that's really where it's at I think that with with Darren Lee I think the Jets are saying okay well we can just hang on to him for now and then if somebody misses maybe we can drop the drive the price up if the Bucks or the you know the Browns or the the Bengals uh, not the Bengals the uh, Broncos have uh, um, wind up with you know, a glaring hole on their roster after the draft, uh, you know, then, then we can come in and say, okay, well, here's the, here's the price tag. Yeah. Unfortunate. You know, he's been a guy that's never really lived up to his hype, but definitely an athlete. So, well, all right, well, go ahead. Like Darren Lee's only 24 years old now, you know, he's yeah, still young. He's the guys coming the draft are 24. Darren's got a, a full contract under his belt at this point, you know, at 24 years old. So, and he's highly athletic. So I think part of it was just youth and immaturity. And I think if he gets the right coach, the right setup that he, he could be something. 
that makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't even be upset about getting him and taking a linebacker early just to add that speed. But now fo- shifting focus now to the 2019 season for the Broncos and predictions on this upcoming year. How do you think this team ends up doing? I know Vegas just pegged them as a seven win team, but I'm curious about your thoughts about where they're going to be. I know th- it'll fluctuate with how the draft goes, but your thoughts on this 2019 Bronco team, how Fangio does, how Flacco does, et cetera. Well, they've got a tough schedule. On paper, they've got one of the three toughest schedules in the NFL coming up next year. That's going to be interesting. Um, on paper, the team has improved. Um, you know, they, they put seven. That was also the win total last year, by the way, which they underachieved by a win. But, um, you know, I think, I think it's going to be better. I think better coaching is going to help them out, too. Situational football was terrible last year. Bill Musgrave, uh, I, I, I took to Twitter way too often you know, to cuss out Bill Musgrave, which I shouldn't be doing because, you know, he's a professional coach. But at the same time, uh, I'm sitting there like, you've got third and one. You've got Phil Lindsay in the backfield. And you're running an end around for Emmanuel Sanders. What are you doing? Um, you know, I talked to a, a defensive coordinator who played against the Broncos last year, uh, coached against the Broncos last year. And he said that the Broncos offense was the easiest offense he'd have to scheme all year. He said, you knew what Bill Musgrave was doing on first down. It was probably going to be slant flat, um, you know, maybe a fade. Uh, on, on second down, they're probably running outside zone. And then depending on the down and distance, all you had to do is figure out third down. And so <laughs> when you've got an NFL defensive coordinator, like openly mocking and laughing at, at how easy it was to figure out the offense, that says there's something wrong. And then, you know, compound that by the fact that they're running an offense that was the exact opposite of what uh, the quarterback they brought in skill set was and, and all that kind of stuff. It was just a recipe for disaster. So I think they'll be improved. Um, I, you know, I personally have them right now as a 500 team. Wait till the draft and, and, and revisit me at that point. Maybe I'll up that prediction. But right now, I'd say they're about a 500 team. I think the charge is going to regress a little bit. And I think the Broncos can pick up a little ground on, on what they regress. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's about where I'm at as well. Well, Ben, thank you very much for coming on today. And good luck to you with the rest of the week covering it for Orange and Blue 760. And uh, you got anything coming out here that you want to promote? Uh, just that it looks like that's going to wind up being something long term and uh, i, I want to thank everybody who's uh, who's been supportive of that you guys have been great and um you know i really appreciate that and everybody who listens to this um you know these podcasts and stuff like that i, I appreciate you too and then everybody who listens to it man I, I one of those things i think that people don't understand about me is that you know the kind of the twitter persona i guess that i've adopted where i come across as kind of condescending and, and a little bit of a jerk is not really who i am as a person and so it's just been difficult for me to find out how many people think it is um and so that's one of those things i guess i I, you know i'm kind of working on struggling to relate but i I appreciate everybody who listens and supports everything that uh that i've done and i want to make sure that everybody hears that well ben we really appreciate you taking the time to come on i know you're busy and especially this time of year and you know you're probably juggling three phones right now to getting home and covering the draft and all these NFL beats. So we appreciate the time, but that's going to wrap up today's episode of building the Broncos powered by overtime media. You can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH and myself on Twitter at Nick Kendall MHH. Also make sure you follow Ben on Twitter at Albright NFL for your share of NFL insider information, Broncos takes and grilling the wires and the haters. Although that's more of your Twitter personality than real life. <laughs> make sure you head on over to mile high huddle and affiliate of 24 seven sports and CBS sports digital to find more content covering the Denver Broncos. Also make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and comment as your support can help us continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives. You can follow the Building the Broncos podcast and all our other great audio content by subscribing to the Huddle Up podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Mile High Huddle and at BTB Football Pod. For Carl and Ben, I'm Nick wrapping up another episode of the Building the Broncos podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you all soon. Go Broncos. You've been listening to Building the Broncos. 
Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.